Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. I'm sure you're feeling the weight of this difficult year and the hits just keep coming. Hours after I learned of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, we had a little earthquake and I sat up in bed waiting for a bigger shake, just on edge. I don't have the right words right now, but I've been reading and listening to those who do have words to help me keep pushing. President Barack Obama posted about the necessity of applying rules with consistency. He also said this, Justice Ginsburg helped us see that discrimination on the basis of sex isn't about an abstract ideal of equality, that it doesn't only harm women, that it has real consequences for all of us. It's about who we are and who we can be. Uh, This is so true for all forms of discrimination. It harms us all. As I keep hearing about teachers facing backlash from parents and sometimes even administrators for working to be anti-biased and anti-racist in the classroom, I'm angered, I'm saddened, but also fired up. This work is so important. If you're struggling with pushback, please reach out. I might not always have the right words, but I will work to connect you with someone who can help. Seriously, reach out, teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself said, I'm dejected, but only momentarily when I can't get the fifth vote for something I think is very important. But then you go on to the next challenge and you give it your all. You know that these important issues are not going to go away. They're going to come back again and again. There'll be another time, another day. And, she said, real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. So, let's keep taking those steps. Let's keep walking together. I'm going to leave you with one more quote, and this is a longer one, from an article Dahlia Lithwick wrote in Slate, which I will link to in the show notes. America has lost a warrior, and it's okay to be crushed. I am flattened, and I will mourn because she deserves to be mourned. But we are also facing an almighty battle that will rage in the coming weeks with attempts to fill her seat in an unseemly and grotesque manner. It will be hard and painful, but if you find yourself feeling hopeless and powerless, then you are emphatically doing it wrong. Because if anyone had a right to say, nah, it was the woman who couldn't get a job or a clerkship after graduating at the top of her class, but she pushed on and then she pushed forward She stepped into the fight of the phenomenal women who paved the path before. And now, well, it's time to step into her fight and get it finished. 
I think the notorious RBG would have peered owlishly out at all of us tonight and asked, what the heck are we waiting for? And I think we can probably honor her best by getting to it. I am so excited about the new featured artist opportunity that I have added to the podcast. As a way to share the work of more amazing artists, I will be highlighting artists briefly on the podcast as well as sharing their work on social media and the blog. To apply, head over to teachingartistpodcast.com opportunities. It is a great way to share your work while also helping support the podcast. There is a very small submission fee of just $5, and that helps to pay for the costs of running the podcast and the website, hopefully bringing you more inspiring and helpful content. Now, the goal with this featured artist opportunity is really to be able to share more artists than I'm able to interview, because I know there are a lot of you out there. So if you're listening and you've been thinking like, I want to up my game with my art or I want to share what I'm doing, go onto the website, look at those opportunities and submit. I would love to see your work, whether it's finished artwork, a lesson plan, or something amazing that you are doing in the studio or the classroom. Matt McFarland and I teach for the same organization, PS Arts. And I haven't really said this before on the podcast, but I realized I should be saying that everything here is my own opinion or the guest's opinion. It is not the opinion of any organization. And this podcast is a passion project of mine. It is not supported through any organization or sponsored by any organization. So... Yes, (laughs) I do work for PS Arts, as does this week's guest, Matt McFarland. And we had met a few times at PD, but didn't know each other that well. So it was really nice to hear more about his background and his work. And he shared so many amazing books and artists. I also love how he weaves stories together, combining truth and fiction. His comic, The Teaching Chronicles, is hilariously accurate to the life of an art teacher. Matt mentioned the portrait project that he has been doing to contribute to the 3D PPE Artists Network. And they're a national network of artists making free face shields in the COVID-19 era. So go check them out. And you can also still commission a portrait from Matt with half of all proceeds going to the 3D PPE Artist Network and ACLU. Matt is a contemporary artist, cartoonist, and teacher whose ongoing graphic narrative, Dark Pants, follows a mysterious pair of pants through Los Angeles as they impact the lives of whomever wears them. McFarland has also compiled his 15-plus years of teaching experience into a self-published comic, The Teaching Chronicles, Volume 1 and 2. His book series, My Troubles with Crumb, Parts 1 and 2, documents his conflicted feelings toward his one-time artistic hero, underground cartoonist R. Crumb. Matt's current project, Four Seasons of Gary, collects several four-panel comic strips about his father 
into a makeshift memoir that documents their loving but sometimes complicated relationship. His work has been written up in the Los Angeles Times, Comics Bulletin, Comics Grinder, Artillery, and Extra Online. His work has been featured at such venues as 356 Mission Road, the Vincent Price Museum, Armory Center for the Arts, and Torrance Museum of Art. And his comics have been published in a variety of comic anthologies, including Sliced Quarterly and Milk and Honey Comics. He received his MFA from Otis College of Art and Design in 2003 and currently serves as co-director of Elephant, an artist-run space in Glassell Park in Los Angeles. Matt also teaches for several institutions with students ranging from elementary to undergraduate. Quite a range. This episode was edited by Jolene Smith, who has been so helpful. And you can help me hire her to edit more episodes. Head over to teachingartistpodcast.com slash support for all the ways that you can support this podcast. Hello, I am here with Matt McFarland, and I'm excited to hear more about your teaching and your art making. And that's kind of where I like to start is just with a little bit of background and how you got into both of those things. Yes. Hello. So I, I guess I've always been an artist. And I guess like most things, it's just whatever you're kind of encouraged to do, you tend to gravitate toward, I guess. Yeah. So I, I definitely like when I was in elementary school, you know, people would say, Oh, you, you know, you really draw Garfield well or whatever. So it <laughs> kind of like led to me wanting to draw more for that encouragement and validation. And mm-hmm. my parents were pretty encouraging too in that way. Nice. Um, I never really anticipated being a teacher. I think it wasn't even until I was in grad school and I was like, what am I going to do to make a living? I went to Otis for grad school and they had a, a fellowship with the Armory Center for the Arts in Pasadena. And they said, you know, this is available if anybody wants to apply. And so I just kind of did that on a whim. And luckily it worked out. I, I didn't know if I'd be good at teaching. I didn't know if I'd like teaching. And that was back in 2003. And I ended up liking it. And eventually I think being good at it, but it took a long time. Yeah. Steep learning curve. <laughs> and kind of always continuing to learn. Yeah, always. I mean, especially yeah. when we're throwing a curveball like this. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And if you wanted to talk more about what teaching looks like now. I don't know. It's uh, it's not ideal, mm-hmm. but I definitely feel like for both the teacher and the student, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Like I've had, I've had some pretty great opportunities in the last couple of months on Zoom, I've been teaching like an artsy comics class through the Armory with oh, seven, cool. seven to 11 year olds. And they just seem pretty unfazed and they seem pretty excited to be making comics, like even though it's it's kind of strange to be doing it remotely. Yeah. And uh, I think once the mandate came down and it was like mid-March, my college class at Art Center, which was graphic novel focused, mm-hmm. switched to online too. And that was surprisingly like smooth, uh, I think because it's like a the college class and it's discussion based. I think the big transition, the tough challenge for me was like, how do I teach a hands-on project through Zoom? Right. Which I know you've had to deal with as well. Yeah. So that was that was the toughest thing for me. Like the discussion stuff seemed like it lent itself pretty well to Zoom, but mm-hmm. showing step by step instructions on how to make something was a little more difficult. 
Did you do any that were more like asynchronous videos? I did with with uh, PS Arts. Yeah, it's, it's hard to even keep track of myself. So <laughs> right. like, whoever's if anyone's listening to this, they're like, what is what does he do? And like, what? How many different jobs? And <laughs> right, piecing it all together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to I have to remind myself every morning. Like, what am I doing today? I, <laughs> so I did some videos for Mirror Elementary School in uh, mm-hmm. Santa Monica once they stopped having classes in person. So I would do like one a week. I think I would do actually two for the one for the K through two and one for third through fifth. Yeah. Did you have that experience as well? Doing that? Yeah, I yeah. started out like way too ambitious and was making a project for each grade separately oh, wow. every week. And that didn't last very long. <laughs> Yeah, at the beginning, um, my husband was still working from home as well. And then our daughter was just kind of like in front of the TV. Yeah. <laughs> our preschool actually tried to do some Zoom classes. So we were like trying to manage that, mm-hmm. trying to both of us work from home. I think it was only just a few weeks. I was like, I can't make this many lessons. No. Yeah, it's a lot of trial and error and you see what, mm-hmm. what works. Yeah, my wife yeah. is also working full time and she's... Uh, kind of the breadwinner so it's like I uh, she's luckily like says okay I can take the kids for a couple hours here while you go I still have a studio that I can go to and kind of escape to nice. which I'm thinking maybe I should have done for this but yeah it's, it's kind nice. of nice to hear the kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just like ambient soundtrack but yeah it's nice to have that as like kind of like a classroom mm-hmm. alternate classroom that I have all my materials and I know how to set up like the second camera for the demos and everything and is that near home for you yeah, so I was in Eagle Rock. Um, we just moved uh-huh. to Alhambra, and then the studio is in Glassell Park. So it's a little farther now than it was, but it's not terribly far. Yeah. Anymore. So it's all on the east side. Nice. And I'm going to be there for another month or so, and then I'm probably going to give it up, which is sad because I was there for almost ten years, and it is a wow. it's an artist run exhibition space too. So we have shows like we don't show our own work, but we show artists who submit proposals oh cool it's called elephant oh i know them uh, yeah it's it's a great space it's awesome. like great people five other artists are involved and we all get along and are friends and so it's kind of feels weird to break up the band is the space needing to close down because no of no it's just me like it's, yeah i've been there for a while and i mean if i wasn't moving and didn't have a mortgage to pay then i probably would stay there but it's right. just like financial, practical stuff that it's forcing me yeah. to not be there. And we have like a little more space now, so we can I can have my studio here. Nice. But we'll see how that works because it's like an office space for my wife, and then it's also going to be my studio. So pensions might run high. We'll see. Yeah. Do you make anything that's relatively large? Like, would that be an issue that the amount of space? I don't anymore. I used to. I like pre kids. I was very ambitious. I was making giant sculptures, like kinetic sculptures and big paintings and things. And just I made a real practical decision. I was like, okay, my son's about to be born. I can't really do this anymore. I need to find something to do that I could do like 15 minutes at a time, you know, when he's sleeping or something. And I've always been a cartoonist at heart uh, in a lot of ways. So I just like, I'm going to start a graphic novel and know that it will take a long time. But know that I can just kind of chip away at it. That was uh, my project, Dark Pants, which started in 2013, and I'm still working on. But this is the fifth issue, so Mm -hmm. um, it's not like one overarching narrative. It's just kind of these segments that I work on. Yeah. 
Do you feel like it'll continue? Do you see an end to it? Or will it just be several more issues like kind of continuing throughout your life? Yeah, I think like it's kind of running its course. I feel like this is probably going to be the last one. This is definitely the most ambitious issue in that I'm doing 3D panels, meaning I'm sculpting clay <laughs> onto ah. the panels in addition to the flat graphic elements. Oh, cool. So it's kind of like a hybrid. It's like a 3D relief experience, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know why I, I set that challenge to myself, but it's been really fun and also really time consuming. And I think once I'm done with this one, I'm going to probably move on from that project. But <laughs> it's, been, it's been really great. And I like to always have like several projects going on simultaneously, just so I don't get burned out on any one project. That makes sense. Did you feel like helping run Elephant was also, do you feel like that was part of your like creative practice, a curatorial practice? Did it connect or? I mean, not really because our mission, I guess, at Elephant is just to let anyone, like if we like your work and we select you to show, then you can just have the run of the place, like whatever you want to do. Nice. So we don't really interfere in any way in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's super fun to see the artists come in and just kind of like, I mean, obviously we can't do it right now, but they would come in and just have like a mini residency and just some people would be in there the whole week, like barely leaving, like not even going home to sleep or anything. Wow. Just installing their work. So that was super exciting. And I hope this to happen again for, and I probably won't be involved, but for, for the, the space. And sometimes we have like a open studios. So we do open our studios to the public, but Mm-hmm. the focus is to show artists that we love and are excited about. And maybe artists we didn't, we weren't even aware of before, you know, they submitted. Yeah. And sometimes international artists and sometimes artists from the other side of the country. So it's been very satisfying. Did you help start that project? No, I was not one of the founding members, although I was, okay. I started pretty early. Um, I started in 2011 mm-hmm. and I think it became an actual space in 2010. So there are a couple artists who are still there that founded it. Jason Kunky and Austri Swinsrud, maybe Bianca D'Amico. So there's still a few that have been there from the beginning. But we kind of found our chemistry, I think, once the six of us came together in 2012. So it's, it's me and, like I said, Austri and Bianca and Jason. And then there's Quinn Gomez-Heisenberg and David Earl. Like I said, it's just kind of been a pretty smooth ride. You hear of like the artists in spaces where people just kind of at each other's throats and it's mm-hmm. a little acrimonious, but that hasn't been the case. That's nice. Yeah. I usually ask about the business side of art, but I feel like having that experience helping run an artist run space, that might be interesting for like, it's interesting for me. It might be interesting for listeners, just how the inner workings of that and how you guys kind of manage the space. We don't really get involved as much in the, like, there's been a couple artists who are like, you know, I want to sell this work. And we're like, great, they can contact you and you can sell it mm-hmm. yourself. And we don't have, we don't take a cut or anything. Really, we try to keep it pretty pure in terms of the creative process and letting them do whatever they want. I think not having that pressure also frees up the artist a little bit to kind of just yeah. do whatever they want. So yeah, we really haven't been that involved in like the business side of things. We just provide the space and, and they, they have at it. Ah, and is this space, it's just funded because it's like part of your studios? Yeah, we're just yeah. you know paying for our studios and there happens to be this. And they, I mean, the founding members converted it. Mm-hmm. It actually was an old chiropractic office. Oh, wow. So I'm guessing it was a ra- waiting room or something and they just converted uh, that space into the exhibition space. Yeah. And there's six other studios that were, I guess, were the, you know, the exam rooms. Yeah. 
So there was some weird stuff. Like we had to take out a couple windows in the walls and a spackle of room or whatever. But yeah, it's pretty pretty functional space now. Yeah, and that's a nice way to run it, to just have it be the studios that has this little gallery space. Yeah, it's been pretty ideal. I'm going to definitely miss it. Yeah, we haven't gotten into your artwork, but since we're kind of talking about the business side of things, I'm curious about you with your own artwork, like how you seek out opportunities and are there any resources you would recommend to other artists? Hmm. I think going to grad school was super helpful and mm. just forming a network yeah. and knowing like which galleries to check out and who to contact and having that mm. support system is, has been like huge help for me. So yeah, grad school, I went to Otis College of Art and Design near Westchester from 2001 to 2003. And before that, I was in Northern California. So I grew up in a town called Sebastopol, which no one knew in the 90s. But now a lot of people know because they ripped out all the apple orchards, which they're known for, and replaced them with vineyards. So it's kind of like a destination now. But yeah, so I decided I want to be an artist. And then I went to Santa UC Santa Cruz for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a lot of fun. I don't know if I really committed myself completely to being an artist at that point but then I like found a couple grad schools like I I don't even think they give us a lot of information about grad school and at UC Santa Cruz but my girlfriend at the time was in Los Angeles so I just like looked up grad schools (laughs) in Los Angeles so I applied to like UCLA and CalArts and Otis and maybe even Art Center Mm -hmm. and I only got into Otis so I went to Otis (laughs) and that just was like super formative experience for me in terms of like really considering every aspect of the creative process and what I do and why I do it. Mm -hmm. I kind of came in as a painter. And by the time I left, I was just doing everything. I was making videos, I was making sculpture, I let the idea kind of serve uh, or be the engine that kind of told me what medium to use in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, so like a classic conceptual art type of approach, I guess, right. That just like really opened up my mind to that. And I've returned more to like craft in terms of like cartooning. But I think having that experience and having my mind opened up like probably serves what I'm doing now too. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I made some good friends and I still talk to them today. And I still try to get out when I could, you know, to the galleries. But uh, yeah, that was super helpful. And then in terms of like cartooning and comic books, I felt like I was starting from scratch and I felt like a complete rookie. But I just started applying to zine and comic fests. Oh, yeah. And getting into some of those and forming, again, networks that way and meeting people and getting the word out about my work there. And then, like, I think having a website is pretty important. There's some kind of web presence, whether it's Instagram or I guess Tumblr is kind of defunct now. But so I have all that stuff, too. I don't have a huge amount of followers, but I have, like, the people that do follow me seem to be pretty devoted. So that's been nice. Yeah, and that's a whole other world, the zine and comic world, and then the like fine art gallery world, and they they intersect somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe you're finding that intersection. I mean, I was always drawn to like more artsy comics, mm-hmm. like art comics, I guess, alternative comics, underground comics, that kind of weren't the mainstream status quo, like superhero comics. Right. And so I just think that's kind of what I'm drawn to. And that's what I make, too. I think my stuff's not super mainstream either. (laughs) So it's kind of, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm straddling these two worlds in a way. Mm -hmm. And I don't really belong to either in some ways. (laughs) Like I'm too, I don't know. I don't know if I'm too artsy for the comics world, but I, I definitely don't feel like I belong in the fine art world anymore. And I guess that's okay. You know, it's like, you don't have to fit neatly into any one category. 
Right. But I do like how you have the prints of your work and the original pieces that then become like printed into the zines and the comics. So you have those originals that could fit right into a gallery, but then you also still have the comics. That's the opportunity to get back to my painting roots, I guess, is to, when I do the covers, the front and back covers of the comics. And yeah. uh, I mean, because the inside of most of my comics are just black and white, very pretty graphic. Uh-huh. But I like that. Yeah, I like the opportunity to be able to break out the gouache or whatever I'm working with and paint. Yeah. Those. And do you miss any of the more, I mean, I feel like what you're doing is also conceptual. So I don't, I'm not sure I like that word for it, but the the work that was led more by idea and not staying within one media. Do you mm-hmm. miss any of the sculpture or video or any of that? Yeah, I, I do. I, I sometimes feel like I'm a sellout or uh. something. And I don't know if that's the right word, but just because I made this practical decision, you know, and I, I'm glad I did, but is there part of me that still wants to make these giant, ridiculous sculptures out of foam? I mean, yes, I just don't think I can anymore. And I might be able to at some point in the future. But I mean, that was kind of like my grand finale in a lot of ways. I worked with an electrician and we made this like ridiculous, I called it the, oh, I forgot even what I call it, Vogelschuss, I think, which is German for scarecrow. And it had all these kinetic moving parts. Oh, wow. completely absurd. And But it was like, I think this is the last big thing I'm going to make for a while. So I better just go all out. Yeah, um, do it. Yeah. So, I mean, if I had, I think if I had more time, I would continue to do that. I need to work at a smaller scale and, and something that's like less draining or taxing somehow. Yeah. I also made like a giant pizza box that looked like a coffin. <laughs> that was like, that was actually something I did fairly recently, a couple of years ago. It felt good to return to that approach. Mm. But yeah, for the most part, I'm just making comics right now and I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I have like three different series going on simultaneously. Yeah. Um, I'm never bored. Hopefully they never get stale. Yeah. And it's just me that's like dictating when I do it and, and what I'm doing. So, I mean, I have a lot of freedom. Yeah, that's nice. And I like how at least some of your series overlap into life where you're almost narrating little stories from your life. Yeah, I was very inspired and influenced by like autobiographical comics and mm-hmm. memoir comics like in the 90s. And so I think that definitely played into my decision to make some of those myself. So like right now I have a series I'm working on that's all about my dad. It's like collections of story, like anecdotes, because he was a pretty funny character. And then I also like worked in some longer form stories, but that's d- directly autobiographical, obviously. And then I'm not really doing it as much anymore, but that doesn't mean I won't. But the teaching chronicles, like just a collection of anecdotes of funny things that kids said or did while I was teaching. And sometimes I'm like the butt of the joke and sometimes I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like things I observed and I thought were really hilarious. Yeah. I was laughing at that one. And it's like any art teacher that's looking at this just completely relates. <laughs> yes. Like and when I ha- was at Zine Fest, I would have someone come up and they would be immediately drawn to that. And I'd be like, you're a teacher, aren't you? And they, yep. I, my sister's a teacher. You know, it's just like, if you're a teacher, you know. And I kind of stopped doing that. I don't know why, but I guess because I just had other projects that were taking out time. But I mean, there's an endless well of content really there yeah. <laughs> that I could work from. Um, and then I have like a semi-autobiographical series all about marriage, which it's kind of under the guise of it being fiction. But I definitely use stuff that occurs, interactions between my wife and I that that kind of inform right. the, the comics. What I did, though, is I completely like this, this fictionalized couple, they don't have kids. So it's like just mm-hmm. all about the relationship, right. which has been kind of nice, too, because you know how it is when it, the kid is... Um, 
taking up a lot of the attention and, <laughs> and the focus. It's like I kind of get to devote some time and energy to focusing on our relationship a little bit, even though sometimes it's about like quibbling or whatever, but with love. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We've had the discussion so many times about sometimes mom and dad have to talk to each other. You <laughs> yeah. can say, excuse me, if you'd like to speak. <laughs> oh, man. We've had that conversation so many times the last few days. It's been crazy. <laughs> but, uh, our son is super excited about, he started playing Minecraft, so he just wants to talk oh. about Minecraft every 10 seconds. But yeah, it's nice to have like those different, it kind of engages different parts of my brain, I guess. You know, obviously autobiographical engages like the memory. I have to kind of recall like what happened as best as I can. And then with the marriage, when I start with a kernel of truth or a kernel of something that actually happened, then I completely like deviate from that. Yeah. And then the dark pants is just completely fabricated. It's it's just like a traditional graphic novel in that way, I guess. And, and that it's, you know, I, I try to have it reality based, but it's not really that inspired by any, any of my experiences. Right. Yeah. And do you share any of your work with any of your students? Share, yeah, I sometimes share the teaching chronicles. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that. But uh, I, some of it I don't think is appropriate. Right. Uh, it's not like I make X-rated stuff, but I just think it's like I always was drawn to like comics that were intended more for adult audiences, mm-hmm. just in terms of like having mature content, not necessarily like sex and drugs, but just like adults right. having conversations <laughs> about their lives. Right. Um, <laughs> And so that's kind of what I make too, I guess. My son is, he's read my stuff, whether I wanted to or not. And he's like found my, my underground comic stash and stuff. So he's probably, we made some, some errors along the way. But <laughs> I, I think that's kind of like how my love and excitement about comics started too. Is probably found some of my dad's comics or something. Yeah, it'll just make him more interesting. Mm-hmm. Getting maybe more into teaching. I know you're kind of juggling multiple different teaching jobs and maybe we could just talk about like all the different things you have going on and is there like an age level that you prefer is there a a way of teaching that you prefer yes so I have three different teaching jobs right now and Mm -hmm. so like I said I teach artsy comics at the armory seven to eleven year olds yeah it was a lot of fun and then I'm teaching uh, also on zoom at art center so college students Mm-hmm. where they're mostly reading and writing about comic books and graphic novels. Yeah. So that's fun to have that, to mix it up a little bit. They're also really talented illustrators for the most part. Like their stuff just blows me out of the water. Like it's just like incredible. And I'm consistently impressed with what they do. Like even though it's not a studio class, I make them like make little comics and things just so I can see what they do. Yes. Um, and just be impressed. And then at so PS Arts, I'm hoping I will return to Muir uh, School in, in Santa Monica mm-hmm. remotely in the fall. Nothing's yeah. really been set yet, but yeah, K through five. Yeah, I love I love that school. They're just like great kids, and the culture there is really great. Like I moved from a, a charter school in Koreatown mm-hmm. to that school, and it was just like night and day. Like the kids. I don't know if it's because it's on the west side or what, but like the kids are just so laid back and cool. <laughs> like they're just like so close to the ocean and just like a little laid back vibe there. Right. But yeah, I love it there. And I'm hoping I like, can use you, sir. I love the fifth graders, I think is like my favorite. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on the year, I guess, but just because they are still pretty engaged with the creative process, like they haven't reached the point yet where they're like too cool for making art. I mean, sometimes they have, but not everybody. And then they can also talk about their art in an interesting way. So I enjoy that that grade level. Yeah, like the kind of older elementary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fourth and fifth. 
I mean, third sometimes too, third through fifth, really, I love. Yeah, and also having the college class sounds like a really nice way to like activate your brain and be able to spend time as part of your work, really thinking about all the graphic novels you love and like talking about them and sharing them. They're just like really bright for the most part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kids are, I mean, they're young adults, some of them, most of them. So yeah, it does, it does activate a different part of my brain and, Mm -hmm. you know, we can get pretty deep too. Like we get into semiotics and stuff like that in the, in the semiotics of comics, uh, which is pretty fun. Right. Wow. Uh, And I use like the primers, the texts I use are like understanding comics by Scott McCloud. It's kind of like the end all be all of the comic primer and analysis. And then there's a really great book called Reading Comics by Douglas Wolk, who takes like the prominent comics of the time and analyzes them and reviews them. Yeah. And it's fun to just reread the graphic novels I assigned to. Yeah. I try to mix it up every term just so it's not the same. You know, it could easily just be like mouse and mm-hmm. uh, and fun home or something over and over, but I try to mix it up. That's probably more interesting for you too. Although I guess also maybe more work. A little more work, but it's it, they're all books for the most part that I've already read. So it's just like reviewing us, revisiting them. Do students help you discover things that you hadn't discovered about them or like think about new things? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I actually have an assignment. The objective is specifically that because I have them like bring in a comic book pre-1980 and then a graphic novel post-1980 and compare and contrast. So usually there's some sort of direct connection between the two or maybe it might be indirect, but... Um, I learn a lot that way. Like I learn, yeah. I'm exposed to a lot of things. To be honest, like I had a lot of blind spots when I started because I I was never into superhero comics. So like I had to kind of brush up on those and just like stuff that's being made right now. I, I don't necessarily know all that work either. So yeah, then the kids the kids know what's up. They know they're they're pretty hip to what's happening. So that's helpful. Yeah, so they can introduce you to new things too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I would have no clue. I'm like not in that world at all. It's a different language, honestly. Like I, yeah. I got on board pretty early, so I'm I'm very familiar with it. But I understand how some people just never get it. There's <laughs> like, they're, this is not for them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I've heard of Mouse. Are there any others you would recommend, especially for? I mean, art teachers at the elementary level or even up through high school. Are there any other? like graphic novels or comic books that you'd really recommend using as teaching tools? I mean, most of the stuff I assign is for older readers. I love this graphic novel called My Favorite Thing is Monsters, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not appropriate probably for elementary school. Right. But it's just like incredibly drawn and like the story is so amazing. And that's by Emil Ferris. But in terms of like younger, well, my son has actually really gotten into graphic novels lately. And so I am kind of exposed to age-appropriate stuff for him that way that I wouldn't normally read. So like Bone is a really good one for, Uh I would say, like 7 to 11, maybe. It's like an epic story, but kind of told in a really accessible way, Mm -hmm. really like accessibly drawn characters that they're very cartoony. It's almost like the Lord of the Rings with these little like marshmallow-y characters. characters. And my son loves that. And then he's really into Dog Man, which you might be familiar with. Like all the kids draw the Dog Man because he's pretty easy. It's just like a dog head on a human body. I've seen that. Like I've seen the drawings, but I had no idea what it was. <laughs> so that's good to know. They're just kind of silly, and yeah. the conceit is basically that they're drawn by these like eight-year-olds, wow. um, even though it's drawn by like a, 
an adult man. <laughs> uh, so like it retains that kind of a humor and drawing style. And then uh, the other one that he's really into right now is Bad Guys, mm-hmm. which is like takes the premise of these stereotypical villainous characters or like creatures like a wolf, a spider, a snake. And there's another couple other ones, but a shark. And then they're actually like all they want to do good. Oh, so it's like the, the way that they're perceived is is completely different from the way that they actually are and the way they behave. Yeah. And then this the last one I'll say is I think that maybe older kids, like middle school kids would get really into March, which is a memoir by John Lewis. Um, who just recently passed. Oh, yeah. Civil rights leader. And it's all about growing up in, in the South and the good trouble that he got into, the, mm-hmm. the silent and nonviolent protests that he engaged in. Right. And marches that he um, participated in. So that's like a three, that's a trilogy. So it's pretty long, but I think a, a sixth or seventh grader could probably read it and be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that one shared recently in one of the like millions of teacher Facebook groups. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it won won some kind of book award. I can't remember which one. But I definitely am going to assign it. I haven't assigned it to my graphic novel class yet just because it's a trilogy and I kind of like to have several texts that they read. But I'm just going to spend some time with that one next term. Yeah, it's a good one. Kind of feel like that leads us into this question about really trying to like build a library or just build our knowledge of artists of color. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to go back and ask everybody about which artists of color that they share, like if there are artists that you feel like have made an impact on your students. Mm -hmm. I just want to preface that question with saying I don't think that we can build like a comprehensive list. That's not really the point of asking this. I feel like it's more just for teachers, especially white teachers like me who have kind of grown up with a typical Western canon of art where we're mostly introduced to like the old dead white men. It's just a way to like share our knowledge with each other and talk about artists that then I can go look up and maybe share with my students. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I think a lot about every time I'm putting a curriculum together um, and a syllabus. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I feel kind of like ashamed to admit, like, I didn't think of that the first couple of years of teaching as much. And I think that kind of speaks to my privilege or like my my lack of like awareness around that, you know, like around, like what we've been fed as growing up and going through the school system and everything. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I've definitely the last 10 years, I've really tried to... <laughs> remedy that in my own mm-hmm. teaching. I know that the kids get pretty excited about Basquiat's work. I kind of introduce that usually with the Life Doesn't Frighten Me at All. It's a book uh, by, yeah. by Maya Angelou, and the paintings are by Basquiat. And it's just a great intro to just expressive art, like expression, and also just like color and line and shape. And like, so I love talking about Basquiat and showing them his work. And then like Jacob Lawrence too, you can really get into like shapes and color and um, composition, I think, with his paintings. Mm-hmm. And then with the comics, I mean, there's just so many to talk about now, which is so exciting. I Emile Ferris is uh, is Latinx, so, so mm-hmm. her work, My Favorite Thing is Monsters, kind of actually addresses race a lot in the mm-hmm. actual narrative. Yeah, I think it takes place in, like, Chicago in the 60s. And even though it's not, like, a straightforward memoir, the character in it is Latina, too. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she has to kind of deal with that, and also she sees in the neighborhood how like people of color are treated. 
And there's like race riots also in the middle of the story, like after Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated. So there's a lot going on there. And then Marjan Satrapi is a artist who I've taught a lot. She wrote Persepolis about growing yeah. up in Iran. And, yes. Uh, and that's that's one I've definitely taught in my graphic novel class a few times. And this was like, I think that came out early, maybe 2000. So one of the first graphic novels by people of color that was wildly popular and just like, right. it kind of opened. Yeah, like I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of just opened things up for all these different voices that we hadn't heard from mm-hmm. before, you know, so that was pretty exciting. Yeah, those are just some that come to mind. I mean, Frida Kahlo, almost like cliche in a lot of ways, right. <laughs> but she's so great. And there's like so many things you can talk about with her stuff too, self-portrait yeah. or surrealism or, you know, so I definitely touch on her a lot in the during the year. Yeah, I've one way that I've brought her in is, and I like to do this with other artists too, but there's an artist named uh, Justin Favela, mm-hmm. who's from Las Vegas, but he talks about how his heritage is half Mexican, half Guatemalan, and he's really interested in Frida Kahlo. Mm-hmm. A lot of his works are like he recreated her courtyard he like recreated a bunch of really famous Mexican landscape paintings that weren't by her, but by other like famous Mexican artists mm-hmm. um, using tissue paper, like pinatas. Oh, wow. Um, so I brought him in and talked about that. He's influenced by these artists and like now we're kind of being influenced by him. Mm-hmm. So this like layer of, of inspiration, I like to show the kids that as well. Yeah. It made me think of the, um, was it Yum? Yosumasa Morimura, who did all the like recreations of famous uh, yeah. portraits throughout our history. And I know he did a bunch of Frida Kahlo um, recreations too. I think there are photographs, but they're based on the paintings. Yeah, I feel like that's always because I mean, artists, we are always being influenced by other artists. And I feel like that's interesting for the kids to see. For sure. And kind of continuing along those lines. Are you now thinking about ways or have you already been incorporating this idea of like creating an anti-racist environment in your classroom and really like working proactively to, we kind of were touching on this idea of like decolonizing your curriculum, but Mm -hmm. other ways that you're addressing racism? That's definitely going to be, you know, top of mind, I think, when I create the curriculum for this next year. Yeah. I think it was kind of always there, like, but maybe it wasn't as, uh, I got really into like reading picture books to the younger kids, especially like K through two and yeah. that came directly out of like having a young child and reading the books every night. Uh, um, I'm just yeah. like, oh, that, these books are neat. like, these books are like touching on really big concepts and like the kids don't even know it, you know? Yeah. Um, necessarily. Like they're just like, oh, this is a fun story. And so I think that was a way to kind of integrate those ideas of embracing diversity or like um, mm-hmm. just being open, having your heart open to anybody, no matter how different they are from you. Or So that was kind of like the focus of a lot of the books. I think, you know, one's own identity, like connecting to your own heritage and history and identity and also like being open to others. Yeah, there's experiences. And that's kind of been the focus of those books, I think, a lot of ways. And sometimes they address race and sometimes they address sexuality or gender. But yeah, that's been the focus for me the last, I would say, five years. Yeah, nice. Are there any um, books that you recommend there that like just kind of ones that you're thinking of? There's one called 
think it's Huion is a mermaid, yeah. which is about this kid who just wants to be a mermaid, and he's it's like he's not obviously even considering what gender people perceive him to be. You know, he's just kind of like going with what he wants to do, and so yeah. I think he finds like stuff around the house to dress up and like transform into a mermaid. So yeah, that one, and uh, I mean, even just through like I read a. Uh, it's just fresh in my mind because I, I think it was the last book I read before everything shut down. But like, there's a book about Chef Roy Choi. Mm. It's all about him growing up in Los Angeles, but his parents were from Korea. And so the food that he was exposed to, so tapping into his own you know, family history, but also like integrating and incorporating everything that he saw around him in, in Los Angeles whether it was like the yeah. cuisine, the different kinds of cuisines he saw, the different kinds of cultures he was exposed to, and specifically like Mexican food. And that's how he created the, the fusion tacos. <laughs> so like you yes. can talk about it in that way, like talking about cuisine and food and, mm-hmm. and have the students kind of tap into their own history and also like be exposed to their classmates' kind of unique histories and cultures. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's always a lot of fun. Nice. And then I think there's one called Diego... I can't remember. It's like, it's almost like claymate. And maybe it inspired the dark pants issue or it's like, it's kind of like claymation illustrations, but it's about like how this boy Diego can't see his grandfather because he lives in Mexico and he's not allowed to come to the United States. And so he like dreams of being a superhero and flying over the border and, (sighs) you know, so just like addressing these topics that are like pretty complex and pretty intense and pretty disturbing and but like in a way that hopefully they can process it digest it yeah i mean stories are so powerful i think they're the most effective way to persuade anybody to change their way of thinking you know i love that yeah so powerful i was trying to look up the diego book and papa that Di- might be something papa diego a gift from papa diego. so papa diego is the grandfather actually uh, yeah oh no but his grandson is also named diego yeah, that yeah, makes so I have, sense. Like, I have like a few go-to books that I, but then I always like with the graphic novel class, I try to mix it up. We talked a bit about your work. Is there anything else? You would want to share about your art making and what that looks like and what your like your process or yeah it's it's funny because it's like i have like three different comic projects right now but they're all completely different in terms of approach mm-hmm. like i said there's that 3d dark pants that i'm working on which is just on yeah. wood panel with like paper clay and so that's pretty bizarre oh, cool. and then and then like the one with my dad about my dad was just ink on paper that I would color in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And then the marriage series is just on an iPad. It's I just do it digitally. So it's like I had to kind of learn how to do that in the past six months or so. But I was like, this seems like the easiest, most effective and quickest way to draw this comic. Yeah. Um, that's been fun to like learn new technology. Yeah. <laughs> the, what are you using on there? So I'm using Procreate. Yeah. But that comic in particular is like very simple and it, I make it look like it's just pencil, you know, like a 6B or dark pencil on paper. Right. So it's not very complex at all, mm-hmm. but it's, it's fun. I also started doing like these portraits to raise money for PPE for, for medical workers and also retail workers. My friend Devin and Eddie, they started this 3D PPE artist network. 
Oh, cool. Because like Devin's wife is a nurse and she wasn't getting enough um, protective equipment. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just like, I'm going to buy these 3D printers. And then his friend Eddie like helped out with that too. And then they just started printing these uh, face masks. Wow. Um, that they would distribute to anyone who needed them. And then I was like, well, I could just, I, I don't know if I could have time to like print these, but I could like do some portraits or something that would maybe help raise money for that cause. Yeah. And then because I was drawing on the iPad, I could kind of do it more quickly. And also, it was also like inspired by these Facebook avatars that I really hated. There's like kind of bitmoji ones that I just started seeing everywhere. And I was like, I can't, I'll draw you a better. And then I was like, well, maybe I should make this, like, I should turn this into a cause of some kind. So at least like my, my vitriol is, is going. <laughs> if you donate $5 to this artist PPE network, then I'll, I'll draw you an avatar. So that was really cool. We raised over almost two thousand um, dollars, which was wow. super surprising. I thought I was like set the I set the goal for like a hundred dollars or something. Right, that's amazing. So I had like a couple weeks there where I was super busy. <laughs> I was like, right, I, I was like what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> it was super. Is that good. is that still going? Are you still it doing it? I'm not do I'm not doing that particular fundraiser anymore. But I, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, it's kind of open now. I just said like I did it through Facebook, so it had like an end date. But um, on my Instagram, I'm just like, if you want to commission me to do a portrait, I'll be happy to do it, and I'll donate some proceeds to this artist PPE network and also ACLU. Yeah. So, and I've had like a couple of people ask me to do that, but it's been <laughs> it hasn't been like having to try to do 20 in a night or something. Right. Uh, that's wild. And and they're still doing like, they're still doing the network and they're still printing mm-hmm. the face mask. So that's still going strong. And okay. they're like incredible. I can't even believe that they're doing that, but they are. And uh, they have like families too and everything, but somehow they <laughs> are able to like have the bandwidth to, to do that and monitor and, and uh, oversee that. Well, them. maybe I can like link to them and share that. Yeah, they're just Instagram. They're just 3D PPE Artist Network. Okay. The, yeah, and you should see it. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, and I, I haven't, like, I don't do sculptures much. I mean, I do the, like, 3D comic panels, but I really yeah. like that aspect of art making. Like, did, I was doing these resin trash cans. So it was basically, like, everything in my studio trash can that I would cast in resin. Ah. <laughs> and the, but it was in the shape of the trash cans, and they were different colors, like, according to the month. So yeah, I had a lot of fun making those. And I, I think if I, if I like, had all the time in the world and all the money in the world, I would probably finish that series because I think I only made, like, six or seven. Yeah. Um, How many year. would you want? Well, I, just, I was thinking for the whole year, so I would, like, yeah. one per month. Right. I'd have a, like 12. So I, yeah. that's like another series I would probably pick up again if I could. Yeah. Resin is not cheap. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit with resin. And when I ran out, I was kind of like, okay, well. <laughs> what were you doing in uh, in resin? Oh, I was, so I've been making these like clay paintings. That's what I'm calling them. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what they are, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I was using Play-Doh to like make an image sort of 2D. Mm-hmm. And then I been just gluing it to a panel and then letting it dry and crack and kind of change oh, wow. but I wanted to find out if there was a way to preserve it the mm-hmm. way it looked when it was still like wet and mushy mm-hmm. other than just photography so I, I was putting resin on top and it it still does crack a little bit inside the resin mm-hmm. but yeah it's a different effect than just letting it completely dry and crack so are they like more abstract imagery 
started as very abstract, but now they're they've become more landscapes and like domestic scenes. That's, yeah, that sounds pretty intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got a bunch of them. I've got like on my website. So yeah, that you're kind of working in this. What? So there are, do they protrude or like from the the canvas? Not much. I um, mean, there's. I'm not rolling them super super flat, but I'm just using my hands to almost piece it together like a puzzle. Gotcha. So I'll like mix the color I want and like cut it into the shape I want and put it in. I feel like it's very similar to collage or even like lino block, like multiple plate print. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like piecing it all together sorry i don't want to interview you <laughs> I, i'm just wondering if having the play-doh around like because of your kid like is that did that help inspire that process completely i feel like this happens sometimes and i often i cut out like the part where i'm talking a lot uh, but i don't know maybe i shouldn't but i mean that's, that's kind of part of this too is like how parenting being a parent has kind of influenced your your practice yeah, too. Completely. For me, it definitely did. I I took quite a break from doing really any art when I had my mm-hmm. daughter. It was just too much for yeah. me and didn't really make anything except like stuffed animals and clothes for her <laughs> yeah. until she was around three. And then I started just playing with Play-Doh with her. And that's how it like started experimenting with the Play-Doh, mixing colors and yeah, yeah, it started very abstract. Yeah, I love the idea of it, like embracing the fact that it's going to like crack and disintegrate, kind of. Yeah. Um, I think like for dark pants, I, I wanted to make sure that wouldn't happen. So I like had to kind of experiment mm-hmm. with different clays and paper clay seemed to be the best. Like it, it kind of dries almost like wood. It's really bizarre. It's like it's yeah. paper pulp. Have you used it before? Yeah, I have. I really like yeah, that. And it, You're making me do more with it. Yeah, like you can use it pretty much like clay and then it's completely solid when it's dry and it doesn't crack Mm -hmm. or anything. Whereas like Model Magic or something, uh, I used to use that a lot and that would definitely crack and uh, it wasn't super rigid. Right. Yeah, I feel like it's always a little squishy. (laughs) But the kids love it. Yeah, and it's easy to work with. Yeah, I love it too. As a teacher, I love model magic yeah it is kind of magic how it like sticks together how you can mix colors like you can mix the primaries and like mix secondaries it's a great lesson for that yeah i thinking more about like how parenting changes everything but i feel like almost every artist i've talked to who is right now kind of in the thick of it with young children talks about how their practice changed and and even you know you talking about how you had to shift to things that were sort of smaller and more practical and could be done in little bursts of time yeah yeah i mean it's it's kind of amazing if we can find any time at at all to do (laughs) do any art and i'm very grateful that you know I, i can when do you usually fit your art making time in? Well, we implemented this family movie every night. <laughs> like when, since the <laughs> pandemic started, we're just like at five o'clock, we're just kind of done. So we usually watch a movie together and that, that's my time to draw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's on an iPad or on a panel or on a Bristol board. And then sometimes when our daughter's sleeping, she still takes naps. I have time to do that. Yeah. I used to like go to the studio and, and work there, but now I've just been doing everything from home lately. And this since I'm leaving to like go teach at the studio and stuff, I don't really feel like being there and working. But you know, it's nice to have yeah. at least like I usually have at least an hour a day. I would love yeah. to have more, but that's just how it is. Right. Yeah, it's tricky. I feel like it's been very busy this summer. Like as soon as the kind of school year ended, I was like, Whew, okay. <laughs> 
take a little breath. We got through that. Yeah. And then focus on all the other projects. Right. Has your daughter been doing summer school at all? No, No, she's supposed to start kindergarten Mm. this fall and they might be doing like a hybrid Mm. version, but I think we're just keeping her home. It's a real, it was a real debacle. I think just like the transition to remote, we loved his kindergarten teacher, but no one knew what they were doing, you know? And then uh, the summer school was even worse. It was just like signing him up for teachers he didn't know, kids he didn't know, and then like. We couldn't figure out how to log in and then kind of just gave up. But yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more of a refined process in fall. Because he's going to be yeah. first grade now and, and more robust, I guess, too. Yeah, the curriculum. Right. So I feel so torn because I, I'm sure you too, like just empathize with the teachers so much. But then also as a parent, I was catching myself being really frustrated with her preschool trying to do these Zoom classes that were just like complete failures. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, getting a bunch of three and four year olds to talk to each other or a teacher via Zoom. Yeah, it seems insane, but um, a little a little challenging. <laughs> my son is like so social. He just like loves being around people. So it's been mm-hmm. really heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Yeah. But he's like, we, we luckily, like I mentioned, we have like a, another family in our pod. Where he gets to have some some friend time. Yeah, and I hear them laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a late night tonight. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people, the schedule kind of went out the window too. <laughs> yeah, they definitely going to bed way too late. But I mean, it also like just being in the new space is like pretty exciting for them. So it's hard mm-hmm. for them to sleep. It's hard for us to sleep even. Yeah. It's a new, a whole new world. Like we only moved 10 minutes away, I think, or 10, 15 minutes. And it feels like a whole new world. Wow. The San Gabriel Valley just opened up to us. <laughs> we just like, we can go anywhere over here now yeah and eventually you'll have a pool yeah that will be open <laughs> yeah and we're not, obviously we're not going to go anywhere and meaning like <laughs> go to all the different restaurants and stuff but we can at least like drive around and see what there is and yeah. like we do go to parks sometimes too just because we have to but try to be yeah. responsible when we're at the parks yeah we've done we were super closed down at first and now we we do take her to the park every now and then and like where everybody wears their mask and She's actually really good about that, which I'm thankful for. The thing is you can't control other people. (laughs) So my kids, at least my son is like, understands what's happening. He wears his mask and he knows like not to get too close and other people, but my daughter's Mm -hmm. three and she's just like rips her mask off and goes running up to other kids. So it's not ideal. And then like other kids do the same. So yeah, it's tough. You know, obviously if we could just keep them home, we would, but it just seems like uh, untenable. Yeah, there has to be some kind of balance. Mm-hmm. Well, we did have a yard at our last place, and that was nice, but we don't mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, so now parks are a necessity. Yeah. I feel like you asked me earlier, like, what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a teacher? And I yeah. feel like I wish I would have known about classroom management way earlier, like how to manage a classroom, I think is like probably step number one. Like, cause I like was very ambitious in terms of like what I wanted to teach and everything, but it doesn't really make a difference unless you have control over the classroom. So I don't know, that's just something I would suggest to anyone who wants to get started is like, you don't have to be like a taskmaster, but you should have some structure rules and, and things that they know what's expected so that you can just refer to that. Like, well, you know, you know, you're not supposed to do this. So I'm not sure why you're doing that. Yeah. I was talking with another teacher who talked about it as setting these rules and setting these expectations with the kids. Mm-hmm. And even, and I feel like this is sometimes tricky, like 
especially with teaching artists that are on shorter residencies with their classes. If you don't have that much time with your kids, Mm -hmm. this might not work. But if you do, spending that time at the beginning to talk with them about like, well, what do you want the noise level to be? What do you think is a noise level that will let you work? What do you think we should do about being able to move around the classroom? You know, like all those little things that they need to know what's the expectation. Right. Yeah. But having them help set that expectation and then even having them help set like, okay, so if someone does something that is not expected, what's the consequence for that? Yeah, I, I used to try to do that and it never worked for me for some reason. So like, <laughs> but so I just try to keep the rules and the guidelines pretty simple and straightforward. But it's yeah. definitely shifted since the pandemic because now it's like, please don't change your virtual background or <laughs> uh, don't don't use the annotation tool and stuff like that. You know, it's just like different technology-based rules. Yeah, completely different. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what was the question that you wanted to ask? How do you overcome creative block? Yeah, I mean, I think my method for that is kind of what I've already mentioned, which is having several projects at once. And I, yeah. you know, if you have a creative block, then it's kind of hard to have several projects at once. But I just feel like if I do have multiple projects, if I'm stuck on one, I just can shift to the other. And usually that opens things up. I feel very lucky and blessed that I I definitely had more ideas. Like I was an idea generating machine, like probably in grad (laughs) school. And it's definitely slowed down somewhat. But I feel like I also set up these projects for myself that I know are going to take some time. It's not just like over immediately. And then I'm like, oh, no, what do I do now? Right. So I might have one project, like my dad project that I was working on is kind of ending now. But at least I know I have these two other things I can work on. I think it'll be hard once I finish Dark Pants because that's kind of been the longest term thing I've been working on since 2013. So that'll feel, I'm sure I'll feel like a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. Yeah. But then you'll make room for something new to come in. Yeah. Yeah. I already have some, some ideas kicking around. Nice. One of my ideas is, uh, and this is completely not fleshed out at all, but I like the idea of a person who can smell the future. The future knows, I'm thinking. So it'll be like almost like a, I don't know, a murder mystery or something, like some kind of, like <laughs> they can almost smell this scent that has to do with some future crime or something. I don't know. Right. So I, have, I haven't fleshed that out yet, but it's, it's a fun idea. <laughs> Yeah. I like that you just have this sort of idea kicking around in your head. That's also the best thing too, is just like have it back there. And it usually is like kind of accumulating stuff. (laughs) It's like rolling around and and stuff and like picking up stuff as as it sits there or as it, even if it's not in the front of your mind. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's a practice that I'm still working on, but I've had to shift since grad school Grad school gave so much time to just like completely focus on, mm-hmm. you know, whatever idea was going on, whatever project was going on and get really into it, spend hours upon hours like in the studio. But now parenting and teaching and squeezing art in those little moments, mm-hmm. I feel like cultivating that ability to let that idea percolate like in the back of your mind while you're doing a million other things. Yeah, that's a really a skill that I've working on developing. Yeah. 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 Me too. That's definitely something I had to develop. Where did you go to grad school? I'm just curious. Washington University in St. Louis. Okay. I do miss that just having all this time to just come up with ridiculous ideas and try them out. And grad school is such a great space and context to just like experiment. I tell my students that too, even though they're they're undergrad, but like this is the time to just like try crazy stuff. (laughs) 
Yeah. And don't don't get settled into like a routine or a rut yet. And sometimes like this curriculum doesn't lend itself to doing that as much. So I'm just like, find your spots to do that though. It's really important. Because like art centers specifically in illustration, they're kind of like they get placed into careers pretty quickly, I think. Mm. Uh, or it's like a streamlined process to get them jobs. Right. But at least in my class, they can like play around with different styles and approaches and yeah. find their unique voice and, and such. Yeah. And that can be really tricky for a young artist to find, like find your voice, find what you really love doing in terms of what you want to make, what kind of stories you want to tell, what materials you like working with, all of those things. Yeah. And I think it's natural in the beginning for it to be almost like you're trying to emulate artists that you admire mm-hmm. and or like almost like an amalgamation of all these different artists that you admire. And yeah. then it's like organically over time, I think the style or the approach emerges that's specific to you. So I also tell them that like, it's okay, like you're kind of copying this artist style, like you're into the style, you're kind of seeing how it works, but then eventually it'll evolve. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Huh. Well, wrapping up a little bit, what are you curious about right now? I feel like this is going to veer back into depressing territory. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. That's a hard question uh, right now. Like, how are we going to get out of this is kind of like my mm. my overarching question right now. Like, this is a, intense and it's so difficult. My wife may beg to differ, but I, like, I feel like I'm a pretty optimistic person in a lot of ways. So, like, I mm. I don't dwell too much in the, in the dark ideas. Yeah, I mean, it is worrisome, and but I know we will get out of it somehow. Mm. And we'll find a way. We'll navigate, you know, this new way of living. On a lighter note, just, like, watching my kids grow and, like where their interests lie and where they like what they gravitate towards and like the humans that they're becoming is super exciting to me. And obviously there's a silver lining where you get like, I get to spend so much more time with them. Yeah. I'm grateful for that at least. I mean, there's actually like a lot of things I feel very grateful for, even though that we're all going through this, <laughs> this horrible time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like focusing when I get to like worked up or upset or mm-hmm. down, I just can, I can like look to them, you know, and they can get me out of it pretty quick. Yeah. Snuggle a little person. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way that it's, it can be really overwhelming, but it definitely helps to just go for a little walk with somebody who's going to stop and notice like the color of a random leaf or you know, yeah. all the little things. Yeah. I mean, I just go like going to the park. It's just like mm-hmm. my, my whole mindset usually changes too. Cause it's like, Oh, they like, they can run, they can get some exercise. They can yeah. just be outdoors and, um, and I can just like sit and watch them yeah. play. And I'm like grateful that I can still go for a run like myself, like wearing a mask mm-hmm. and everything. But like, I, I can still like run, get some exercise myself. Cause that's, that's yeah. definitely like a mood booster. It's hard to find places that are not too crowded though these days. I usually yeah. just go around the neighborhood. Another just kind of fun one, like get to know you question. What is your favorite food? Well, I love sandwiches, almost all sandwiches. And I actually, (laughs) one of my other weird projects that I have not kept up on, but I started like a food blog, a sandwich blog, meat filled dough. And uh, (laughs) well, it actually wasn't just sandwiches. It's just anything that kind of fits that description, dumplings or, you know, I don't know, anything that has meat in the middle and dough on the outside. Right. Tacos would qualify, yeah. yeah. Papusas, even like calzone, empanadas. <laughs> but I don't eat as much meat anymore. And I mm-hmm. try not to eat as many sandwiches anymore, just <laughs> getting older. But I'd still love a good banh mi or 
Oh, uh, yes. Or Reuben. Uh, I can't eat, I can eat like one Reuben a year, but when I do, it's like the best thing ever. So yeah, those are some of my favorite sandwiches. Nice. And then is there anything else that you'd want to share that we haven't talked about? My stuff's out there on the web. and Yeah. So, you know, I have a website, maddiemack.com, and I even have a Patreon, which is kind of a new thing for cool. me. There's only a few people in there, but that's kind of fun. And then uh, yeah. shout out to my wife for mm-hmm. <laughs> for letting me still have this creative outlet and, and practice because um, it's not easy. It's not easy to juggle all this stuff, and she works really hard. And, <laughs> man, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how any of us do it. But uh, Yeah. What does she do? She's associate publisher of a, and I always get it wrong, but it's a, <laughs> it's not an interior design magazine. Although that's part of it. It's called Lux. It's a kind of caters to affluent people <laughs> that like live in multi-million dollar houses. But we obviously aren't those people. But <laughs> she works for those people, right? She's very successful, and so I'm very grateful to her too for being the breadwinner. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the story so often with artists and then also teachers is like these careers that make it really hard to support a family yeah (sighs) and you kind of answered the other questions like is there anybody you'd want to give a shout out to oh also my mom uh luckily my mom's still kicking and she helps us with the kid duty sometimes so oh that's great amazing like i said we only see this like one other family and my mom and uh my stepdad Mm mm-hmm that's been huge. Like I, I think started a month ago, she would come and like take the kids for a night mm. and man, that was restorative. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Like they're still doing that every week. So I'm very, we're all wow. we're very grateful for that as well. Yeah. And she lives here too. She lives in Ventura, well, Oxnard actually, but yeah, not too far. They, she actually moved from Hawaii. Oh, wow. Back last, last April or something like so over a year ago. So just to be closer to us and the kids and my brother just had a kid. He's in Northern California. Okay. Yeah. So that's been huge. And, you know, we were careful about like quarantining and everything. And then finally it seems safe enough to have her come and watch the kids. So yeah, it's been great. Ah, that's amazing. And then kind of final question, where can our listeners connect with you online? So you said your website. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of that at <laughs> And then I'm on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, McFarland Art, and I have my Patreon. Which, if you just go to the website, you'll see you'll find all that this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, awesome. I am on Twitter, but I don't really use it that much. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> kind of a, a garbage fire. So, well, thank you so much, Matt. It was really nice talking with you and getting to know a little bit more. Yeah, thank you for doing it. This is really a lot of fun. I especially liked hearing how Matt uses books in his teaching to help discuss weighty topics. He talked about the power of stories to change minds and to empower those who tell them. I've included his book recommendations and graphic novel recommendations on the blog, so go check it out. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. 
it really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.